Chara Supply Chain. Highlighting and showcasing solutions for the most complex challenges facing the industry in 21st century by our team of subject matter experts and mentors. Broadcasting every week all year round, we will present the most up-to-date series of podcasts and webinars. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bijara Supply Chain. Uh, this is Norhadi House. I'm speaking now with a kid, Veta Sek, uh, member of the Graduate and Executive Education Faculty of the University of Tennessee. Uh, thanks for coming and welcome to Bijara Supply Chain again. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. All right, so in today's episode, uh, we'll be talking about the relational contracts and how it can drive the flexibility in the context of supply uh, relationship management. But before that, can you please tell us a bit about yourself and your professional background? Yes, so I am a, a faculty member at the University of Tennessee. I've been there since 2003. Before joining the university, I have been a practitioner. So I worked on the buy side. Uh, for Microsoft, and then I worked on the supply side for their largest supplier, uh, and I've been a consultant. So I've been able to look at the contracting from all angles, you know, from purchasing, from selling, and from consulting, and then finally from an academic point of view. So it gives us a really interesting perspective to see the problem from many different angles. Mm -hmm. Can you provide a what is exactly the relational contracting? What, what is the difference with a transactional contract? So um, a relational contract brings in the uh, softer relational con uh, components and elements into the formal contract. Many times we have a contract and it's a very you know, legal-oriented document. You've probably heard people say the best contracts are when we put them in the drawer and we never have to pull them out. And when we have a good relationship. Well, if good relationships drive success, um, one of the problems is that people leave and business is dynamic and they change and we aren't harnessing the power of the relationship in creating success for these more strategic business relationships. So we promote a formal relational contract where the softer relational aspects, the shared vision, the common goals, common objectives, um, the governance structures, you're actually embedding those into the physical contract. And that's where we get the term formal relational contract. Now, the concept of a relational contract has been around since the 1960s, actually, probably forever. Uh, but it was first studied by a couple of professors, um, Ian McNeil and Stuart McCauley, in the 1960s. And they showed that these relational aspects bring a lot of success to organizations. And since then, many, many uh, research, tons of research has been done on this space in the sector of relational contracts. But most people think the relational contract is, can't be included and formalized in the relation, into the formal contract. So we tend to have what Macaulay would call the real deal and the paper deal. And what we try to do is advocate that the real deal is the paper deal and you have continual alignment of interest. Why organization needs need to make this shift to this uh, relational contract? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First and foremost is uh, lots of research shows that 
when we have good relationships, we actually have better results. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, having those relationships, very, very important. So why not embrace it? Why should it be outside of the contract? Why shouldn't we be putting that front and center and saying, gosh, we should be having a strategic relationship. So anytime we have a strategic relationship or a complex relationship where it demands a close working partnership, that's when we want to advocate in bringing in the relational components. So dependency, right? We, we, it's hard to get out of this relationship. You can't just have a 60-day termination for convenience. It's going to take us a long time to unwind. Yep. Um, so that's the strategic aspect, being able to create value. In a, it, when we're trying to innovate and we need investment, we need to create this relationship where we want to motivate the supplier to feel good about making those investments. And if I have a traditional purchasing contract that's arm's length, right, it, we aren't embracing the fact that, yes, the, the supplier will be making investments. How do we have a good return on investment? How do we work with them to make good decisions? You know, another uh, reason why it's uh, important to begin bringing in uh, the relational components and some of the flexibility that we teach. Think about the coronavirus. We can't predict the future. And all complex contracts are incomplete, right? So you can't write down every little aspect in the contract. And so because of that, we need to rely on the flexibility in our relationships to pivot and to change and to be flexible. It's not about what we wrote in stone in in our contract. It's really about, wow, we're working together. How do we pivot during coronavirus? Uh, because I still need you as a supplier, even though maybe what I wrote in the contract isn't valid anymore. That was what I needed last month. What I need this month is different. So we're putting the relationship first. We're putting the, the dynamic nature of the business first. And we're saying, I want to have this partnership with you, this relationship. How do I create the mechanisms so that we know how to work without having, you know, kind of our foot concreted to the paper document. So it is much more of a flexible contracting framework that uh, promotes us working together to cope with uncertainty. And conventional contracts really undermine that. They put us in a box and then they want us to think out of the box and be innovative. They put us in a box and they get mad when the scope changes. What and how to begin to develop a relational contract? Well, there's actually five steps that we promote to create a relational contract. And it starts with the relationship itself, actually laying the foundation for that relationship. I want to be very clear that relational contracts aren't for every um, type of relationship you have, every type of contract. I I make a joke, but P&G has 80,000 suppliers, 80,000. They can't all be strategic and they're definitely not all complex. So first and foremost, transaction contracts work exceptionally well when I'm really buying a commodity and something simple. So the first thing we have to do is is understand when do we use these contracts. So that's that's kind of the going in point. And you want to use a relational contract when it is complex, when you do have a relationship and the relationship, the people aspect makes a difference, when there's dependency, um, when there's risk. So the more complex, risky, dependent, that's when we want to do this. So once we've decided that a relational contract is the right way to go, 
step one is laying the foundation. And the primary goal of step one is to put on the and establish the partnership mentality. Both parties make a conscious effort to create an environment of trust and transparency. Uh, and um, talking about the need that we need to put this partnership first. Uh, and once we know and if both parties agree that it is about the relationship, then and only then can we move to step two, right? And step two is to co-create a shared vision and objectives. So you're coming together, agreeing that the partnership is, is important and that you're going to create this flexible relational contract. So step two, then create a shared vision and objectives. Physically starting um, with a blank piece of paper and asking yourself, what do you want to get out of this partnership? I'll use the example of Island Health and South uh, and their doctors, right? A union contract. Island Health can't really fire their doctors. And mm -hmm. the doctors don't really want to get, you know, be in this transactional arm's length. Um, you know, you're the union, I'm the management. Um, Dell, for example, I'm the buyer, you're the supplier. Instead of this arm's length relationship, what are you trying to accomplish? So step two, your goals, your shared vision, your objectives, and what you're trying to accomplish out of that. Yeah. So once you've done step two and you know where you're going, step three is to adopt what we call guiding principles. Mm -hmm. Guiding principles are social norms, um, reciprocity, autonomy, honesty, loyalty, equity, and integrity. And people often ask us, well, where do you get these social norms? They exist in societies and they've been um, studied and researched by social uh, scientists as well as business people. Um, for example, reciprocity has been studied by Eleanor Ostrom who won a Nobel Prize for her work around reciprocity, same with D Douglas North. So we know that societies that embed these social norms outperform societies that don't. So why don't we Put these social norms in our business relationship if we know that they're good for society they should be good for business relationships yes um, that's where the teams sit down and they define what these mean right so what do these mean to them um so for example um equity islands health with their doctors sat down and said, well, what's equity mean to us? And they wrote up a definition of equity and how they would be, in essence, fair in how they thought about the economics. So when business happens, we go back to our definition of what we think is fair, and um, we, we apply that definition as we make our decisions. So now we're on to step four, which is where we align expectations and interests. Mm -hmm. Here, we're actually looking at the clauses and the details, the guts of our contract, and we're going through crafting the details of our contract. So our contract starts with our shared vision and guiding principles. We enter into this relationship with this purpose, to, and we agree to follow these guiding principles. And then and only then do you see the scope of work, the metrics, the money, right? the clauses, the contractual clauses need to align with our partnership. So I'll uh, turn back to Island Health, a good example uh, of a clause is termination. So instead of having a 
30-day or a 90-day termination for convenience, now Island Health says, you're our business partner, dear union employees. We want and embrace you as our, um, as our you know, business partner. And so moving to a longer-term contract, moving to uh, away from I can fire you just because to we, we are in this together. And how do we actually work through problem solving when we have things? So the emphasis becomes working together to solve our problems, which leads us to step number five, which is stay aligned. And that's where we add in all of the governance mechanisms, the relationship management mechanisms. How are you going to work together and physically adding and incorporating those into your contract? Things like, the tiered governance structure, your decision-making process, <clears throat> your escalation process, yep. your way that you um, um, drive um, innovation. So your, your transformation management, how are you managing change? How are you managing the contract changes as well as the business changes? So these are the softer relational stuff that we want to actually embed into the contract. So those are the five steps. So in summary, lay the foundation, decide this is where you wanna go and trust transparency, establish that trust transparency, co-create a shared vision and objectives, adopt the guiding principles, align the expectations and interests of the quote guts of the contract, and then stay aligned by incorporating the governance structures. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right, so uh, before we close today's conversations, Kate, uh, what, what the other advice can you offer how to maintain and how to get a benefit from these uh, relational contracts? Um, great question. One of the things that we promote is plain language contracts and visualization. Mm -hmm. um, and so a great article, if you just go and Google plain language contracts or contract visualization, you'll start to see uh, quite a bit of resources out there to help you. But think of your contract as a playbook. It's not this legal weapon that you put into the drawer and you don't pull out. Instead, it is a playbook. And the more I can use plain language that everyone can understand. When we don't agree, what's the playbook for how we agree? We've, you know, so what, what's our, in, instead of, you know, just having a dispute clause, let's embed a decision-making tree. Let's embed a, um, a flow chart that talks about how we solve problems. Let's embed a organization chart so you can see who's who and who we go to. What's our, what's our connection when we get stuck? How do we manage uh, and navigate the business on who, who's with who? Um, so having this contract as a, as a plain language visualization helps the businesses um, really work better together because now they can go and say, wow, this is the playbook of how we work. So our contract becomes how we work together, not just the legal terms and conditions. And yes, you need both, right? And so often we've treated our contracts as these adversarial arms length legal weapons that get put in a drawer and you only dust them off when you're mad at each other and we aren't taking the time to write down what makes business successful. And so, you know, really merging the relational aspects with the contract improves success. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, so 
Thanks for today's talk and look forward to speaking with you at another time. At Bichara Supply Chain, we are committed to driving global perspective to embrace technological adaptation in improving process efficiencies. Don't forget to subscribe, like and share Bichara Supply Chain and stay tuned for the latest updates. To learn more, visit our website www.bicharasupplychain.com. Thank you for listening to us. We look forward to seeing you at our next episode.